I have 6.30, so if I could have your attention, please. Let's go ahead and get started. If you could join me in prayer. Father, I do thank you so much for, again, the chance to get together, to look at your word, to discuss things, to learn from one another. I just pray that your spirit would be guiding us. So many needs here, but we know that you are a God who loves us and a God who heals and a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing. So again, I, I pray your blessing on our class this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. About five minutes ago, I realized I didn't have a word of the day, which made uh, stressful. So two came to mind. <coughs> Both of them my brother gave me. So my brother and I tend to share words when we find them. What is called humble come stumble, which is Victorian slang for, I understand, like, you know you have to pick up the chairs. Humble come stumble. You know, I got it. <laughs> I understand. And the other one is fenifugal. And my brother sent this word to me, but he said fenifuga, and he left off the L. So I look it up, because I don't know what it is. And he says, I think there's no fenifunga, but there's a fenifungal, and it means to hate endings. <laughs> I think your brother did that on purpose. He did do it on purpose. Because I wrote him and said, David, I think the word is fenifugal. And he said, did you not read the definition? <laughs> okay. So today we are continuing our discussion of God behaving badly based on this book by David Lamb. And the topic today is God gracious or legalistic. And a more general discussion of the law is what we're going to be talking about today. <clears throat> okay, I would like to do a quick review. This review is a little bit different. So the overall picture of what we've been trying to do, we've been looking at a number of different topics, you know, anger, violence, and so on. But what we've tried to do is look at biblical texts a lot across genres. So history versus poetry versus... So looking at texts across genres, we've also try to understand passages in the context of the culture in which they were written and the historical context. And we've also seen the Old Testament qualities of God reflected in Jesus in the New Testament. There's not a disconnect there. Same qualities we see in God we see in Jesus, which is obviously not surprising. <clears throat> and you'll see these were the topics that we're going to discuss. Today we're going to talk about legalistic and gracious. Next week, rigid versus flexible. And we've already talked about these other ones here. Okay, so I always like to start with this opening question, and why do you think some people would conclude God is legalistic? Mosaic law. Mosaic law, okay. There seems to be a law for everything, and we'll talk about that. What else? I think that's actually probably the biggest reason. Sort of like, why is God racist? Well, because a lot of Christians in the, historically have been racist. Why is God legalistic? Because Christians can be legalistic. So I think that is certainly a possible explanation as well. Can you give scripture and verse for that? <laughs> okay. So in general, why are laws a good thing? Okay, it sets boundaries. Order. Order. Otherwise, it's anarchy. I mean, other reasons laws are good things. Protection. What's that? Protection. Protection. Expectations. You know, expectations. Okay. Expectations. And this doesn't mean every law is good, right? We all know there are bad laws. But in general, the concept of law 
is for the benefit of society, for the benefit of people. Okay, so now I'm testing your biblical knowledge. What's an Old Testament law that doesn't seem to make sense to you? One that's weird, bizarre, unfair. Why do you think God commanded it? Mixing two fabrics. Mixing two fabrics, linen and cotton. And we'll talk about that one. Other weird laws. Not supposed to boil a lamb of the mother's milk. Something like that. Other weird laws that you can think of. Unevenly yoked. Unleaven, what do you mean? Oh. An oxen and a donkey. Oxen and a donkey. Don't do that. Other weird laws you can think of. I'll share some with you, but I was sort of curious if you had some that come to mind. Or harsh laws. Um, spare the rods before the child. <laughs> What's that? Well, not a law. Spare the rods before. Well, how about kill a disobedient child? Cut off the hand of a woman who. Yeah, yeah, I have that one up as well. I'll show you. What's that? Circumcision. Why is that weird? Harsh. Harsh. <laughs> Very harsh. Well, you'd answer that more than we would. <laughs> Other ones people can think of. Weird, bizarre, harsh, unfair. Okay, well, we'll look at some of these. And here is just a single passage in Deuteronomy. So these are, you know, I just took verses 5 through 12. So it's not like I'm cherry-picking here. The next slide, I'll cherry-pick. So someone willing to read this slide for us. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. If you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go, so that it may go well with you, and you may live a long life. When you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Make tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. Okay, that's just one section. What observations or what comments do you have on this? You seem to be unrelated. Okay, seem to be. <laughs> I think they are unrelated. I think building the conversation. I'm not that saying these are bad laws. I'm just saying this is a random collection of thoughts. The thing about the mother and the eggs, that's weird. Okay, yeah, the egg thing. You know, leave them all, take them to the baby. Otherwise, it, so you'll have a long life. Like, really? because I was thinking, I'm going to go look for some birds. <laughs> <laughs> Other comments? Other comments on these? <coughs> I just think of uh, clothes we wear today. Clothes we wear today? Yeah, what is men's clothes and cotton. women's clothes? I think I could probably come up with. But nylon cotton. Nylon cotton for sure. Rayon, you know. Other comments on this? The ox and the donkey thing actually probably makes sense. They're a different gait, a different pulling style. As, as, but as why is there a law about it? Yeah, so the point is these probably all made sense. Number five is the only one that still makes sense. Which is five? 
And again, I'm going to make the argument that all of these made sense 3,000 years ago. And we can't necessarily understand why they made sense or the main reason for that. We can make guesses, we can make hypotheses, but we don't necessarily know for sure. But I think all of them made sense. And I'm also going to make the argument, when you read this, what style of writing does this sort of look like? Proverbs. It looks exactly like Proverbs. Thought here, thought here, thought here, thought here. No real cohesive. And so one of the references I read, and I think they made a very compelling argument, that the law is really more wisdom literature than what we would call legislation. They had no concept of legislation in the ancient Near East. That is a more modern concept. So this is more wisdom literature, which has a very, very different purpose than legislation laws. Okay, so we'll take a look at that. Here's some more. Another one, Reek. Okay, could you do that? If the thief is caught breaking in at night and has struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. And if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. You must not eat any fat or any blood. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. The two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant. And she reaches out and seizes him by his private cards. You shall cut off her hand and show her no pity. Cut off her hand. Wow. Yeah, it's like, well, let's just let him get beat up. <laughs> Sorry, dear. It's just not worth it. Well, um, anyway, observations on these. There's just another spattering collection of things. Yeah. Um, Jolie. These, these laws, um, must, somebody must have got sick on the young goats. Or, <laughs> like McDonald's, we now have caution on the coffee now because somebody burnt themselves. Because who would expect coffee to be hot? My, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, so there is a reason. There's clearly a reason someplace for these that we don't necessarily understand. And like you said, maybe someone got sick at one time, or maybe it's related to the mother-child relationship and you shouldn't do, you know, somehow that violates. We just don't know. The Exodus 22-3 kind of makes sense if they break in at night. If you're defending your home but you can't see the assailant and you're just flailing about, whatever, and strike a fatal fatal because you couldn't see him. But in the day, Daylight, you can see the person. It's so still weird, though. I mean, if you're going to kill them, make sure it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you shoot them on your front porch, drag them inside your house. <laughs> okay. Also, I thought Leviticus, you know, do not cut the hair on the sides of your head, made me think of those 18th, 19th century people with the sideburns that were just massive. I mean, like, I bet they were following this right here. <laughs> okay. So, what is the first command in the Bible? That's not the first command. It may be the greatest command, but it's not the first. Don't eat of the tree. Nope. People are saying, no, you're just stupid. 
Nope, it's not. Go, go be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1, first command. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Second command. What's that? Nope, it is eat. You are free to eat from the tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree. But it says, first of all, eat. And it actually, this word is a kale. And Rachel and I looked it up in the Blue Letter Bible, and it says it's repeated for adverbial emphasis. So it actually says a kale, 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 which is like, eat, 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 you know, eat freely. <laughs> so if you were to summarize these first two commands, not the do not eat from the tree, but the first two, how would you summarize those? They're really good. The author of the book said the first two commands are have a lot of sex and eat a lot of food. <laughs> I decided not to say that. No, I'm not saying it. That's what I'm saying. Because I was fear of how that might be perceived. But, but they were very positive. Okay. So, some critics may say God is legalistic because the Old Testament has lots of laws, random laws. We've read random laws. We've read some things that seemed very odd. So, if you say lots of laws, there's actually a lot fewer laws then than we have today. A whole lot fewer laws. <clears throat> um, and what about the laws that don't seem to make sense? Like, the do not plant two kinds of seeds in your vineyard. If you do, only the crops you plant, but the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox and donkey. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen. So again, I, let's look at the wool and linen. Um, so first of all, it's important to recognize, again, like I said at the very beginning, we may not understand. Okay, We can make conjecture. And so what I want to share with you are possible explanations people have come up with for this one. And I'm not saying any of these are right, but I'm saying this is what has been proposed. So one person, wool and linen could be related to the practice of magic somehow <coughs> in that society. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they have a basis for saying that. Wool represents a desert pastoral economy, those are sheep. Linen is a product of cotton and agriculture and should mix agriculture and um, the desert pastoral, I don't know. Both priestly garments and the tabernacle weavings were a combination of wool and linen. <clears throat> the priest's white undergarment was linen and the brightly colored vestments were wool. So one person would say it prohibited lay persons from wearing wool and linen because that was priestly garb. Well, that's how you get to the what does it mean to be woven together? I have a theory. Like, what is your theory? The that was my next question. Does anyone have heard of wool and linen are very different? And they're going to wear differently, and one they pull on the other and create rips, kind of like the French wine. That's a very practical. But I'm, I'm a fiber person. Yeah, you're a fiber person, and but again, naturally, well, why have a law about that? And again, my bottom line is, we just don't know for sure. Does anyone have they heard of any other good explanations? I've always heard that um, <clears throat> even the clothes you wear are supposed to remind you that God is one. So having one garment made up of one thing is a reminder. Okay, yes, yeah. certainly the plausible explanation as much as any of the other ones. <clears throat> okay, so here's my hypothetical situation for you. 
Why would people think in the year 5024 if they found the manuscript of an old sermon from 2018 and it said, do not buy Sports Illustrated in February? <laughs> what would they think 3,000 years from now? I suspect they would have no idea what we're talking about. And actually, when I had this, Rachel is extremely thorough. So she actually wrote me back to Phil. They don't do that issue in February anymore. It's in May since 2019. I don't know. But it turns out in 2025, people may not understand this because it's now the May issue and not the February issue. Yeah. Is it any worse than which what? Don't tie your goat by the railroad track. Don't tie your goat by the railroad track. Yeah. <laughs> I will share other laws like that in just a second. But yes, there are lots of laws that we have today that are weird and don't make sense. Okay. And so the fact that there were laws a long time ago that we don't understand shouldn't surprise us. Okay. So here are some U.S. laws that I just found probably 20 minutes for class. I thought, oh, this will be an interesting thing. Now, disclaimer is I have not research or confirm that these are true. Some of these had other citations, but I'm not guaranteeing these are all true, so don't quote me on these. It's illegal to eat raw onions while walking down the street in Northfield, Connecticut. That's, that's probably true. That's, that's a good one. Shouldn't eat raw onions anyway. My dad liked that. Okay, Oklahoma and Ohio, you can't make faces at a dog. <laughs> California, it's illegal to eat a frog if it's died during a frog jumping. <laughs> Clearly, again, this is there on the books for some reason. Maybe someone died from eating a frog. From a Whatever. It's illegal to sing in your swimsuit in Florida. Oh, that's just rude. Arizona, you can't have a donkey sleeping in your bathtub after <laughs> It's okay before 7 p.m. But it's like, okay, let's get up. better start Kansas, illegal to serve ice cream on cherry California, it's illegal. It's against the law to eat an orange while taking a bath. Alabama, it's illegal to drive while blindfolded. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's not a bad law, but do we really need a law? But it's only illegal in Alabama. That's right. <laughs> what does that say about Alabama? Uh, Georgia, it's illegal to consume fried chicken by any other means than with your hands. <laughs> Why are these things? And again, these may not be true, but most of these had other citations. Uh, ten. It's illegal for a woman to drive a car without her husband waving a flag in front of her. <laughs> my wife's coming down the road. Be careful, my wife's coming down the road. Yeah, what state is that? I think that's a national law. <laughs> when I went to ACU in the seventies, I went to the store. Oh, you can't buy this on Sunday. What are you talking about? Well, I, one of the laws I read, I didn't have room, was like you can't buy cornflakes on Sunday in some state. So anyway, the point was there are lots of weird laws, okay? In the ancient Near East 3,000 years ago, as well as 
100 years ago or 50 years ago or 20 years ago. Okay, I know you cannot read this slide. It's not the point. The point is, some people could say, well, God ordered death a whole lot of times. So here is one list I got of 28 offenses punishable by death. And it has, you know, murder, kidnapping, child sacrifice, all good. Rape, sure, kill them. Uh, <laughs> but it also has, you know, disobedient son, false witness, child who strikes his father and mother, child who curses his father and mother, sorceress, a medium, spiritualist, a brother, sister, son, or daughter, friend who um, entices you to go after other... There's just a lot of things that may you should kill them. So, how do you respond to that? What about oh, the disobedient daughter? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably... Just son. son means child. Okay. Yes, respond. Buy it, buy it, please. The, the Quran has many of those, and like it's honor killing. If you if you have a daughter or a son that disobeys, you can and fathers are expected to kill. Yep. So again, these the Jewish law today. I mean, the fiddler on the roof. You you say you don't have a child. She married a, a Gentile, and he said, "I don't have a child anymore." Didn't kill her, but he was. She was no longer part of the family. Okay, so a few observations and comments on this, and this is related to one of the things my big picture that I'm going to eventually talk about is I think we are mischaracterizing the law, and that these aren't really laws. Okay. And so, first of all, comment on these. So if you look at Talmudic requirements, those sort of commentaries on the law, this is what the commentaries say. They say, in general, two witnesses. So first of all, these were very rare that anyone would actually be killed for these. Two witnesses to the offense. Perpetrator had to have been warned that the action carried the death penalty. Perpetrator had to exhibit knowledge that the act carried the death penalty. A mere confession was not enough. You had to have witnesses, and circumstantial evidence was not permitted. It was really hard to do these. And another reference I said that death was sort of the maximum possible sentence. Not this happens, you have to kill them. This is the maximum possible sentence. Not necessarily the required punishment for these particular acts. Judges were to weigh the circumstances of each offense and consider the offender's hard-heartedness before they wisely apply the standards of the Mosaic Law. And this reminds me of another book I use as a reference is Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. It's another good book. So let me read a quote from it saying how we tend to read things from our Western mind frame. And so this says, In the West, rules must apply to everyone, and they apply all the time. In the ancient world, rules did not seem to require such universal compliance. In the ancient world of the Bible, rules did not necessarily apply 100% of the time to 100% of the people. It was up to the wise judge to decide, yes, the rules are there, but the wise judge decides when it doesn't apply. That was the, that's what a wise ruler was. That was what a wise judge was to decide when this does not apply, which is not our concept of law. It's like, well, that's not fair. But they would say what's fair is the judge, just judge or ruler, making a just judgment based on the circumstances. So it's a little different concept of law than we have. Okay, what about the man who was killed for gathering wood on the Sabbath? That seems a bit harsh. Someone want to read this for me? 
Thank you. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. And they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded. Okay, so how... Can this possibly be considered just or fair? Does the punishment fit the crime? How do you explain this to someone who says, you know, your God is petty? He disregarded the Sabbath. Okay, disregarded the Sabbath. So, why is that significant? Maybe he repeatedly did Maybe he repeat. Maybe there were other circumstances we're not aware of, for sure. And again, I think this way the Sabbath, but I don't think we have a great appreciation for the Sabbath as far as what it meant in that culture compared to for us, it's, it's just something we hear about. Yeah? I think we are individualistic thinking people. And um, number one, they went to the Lord. They didn't know it first. So it was the Lord who saw the heart and could make the decision. And I think there's decisions that are made for the community to learn, yeah. for the health of the community. And we don't think that way. That's right. So again, first of all, if, if there was a law, you do work on the Sabbath, you die, they wouldn't have inquired of the Lord. Right? If that was the law that we always apply at all the time, but they didn't. They said, okay, what do we do, God, in this situation? And God made that decision. So again, he did know the heart. He did know what else was going on. This might not have been the first time he did this, and it was rumored around, and then they Discovered so, him. Of course, how far did they have to go to discover him getting the wood? That might have been another violation of the Sabbath. Well, yeah, we won't get into that. But let's talk about the Sabbath and explanation for this particular instance. So first of all, the Sabbath was really, really important in the ancient Near East and the Israelites. So it reminded Israel of God creating the world. I mean, God rested after creating the world. So when you see the Sabbath, it's a constant reminder of God's creator, God, king and sovereign of the world. And it also, God leading the Israelites out of Egypt was supposed to come to mind because of this happened. And it also promoted justice because slaves weren't allowed to work. No one was allowed to work. So it was like a day off for everyone, which was social justice, if you will. So, someone want to read this for us? It's talked about the Sabbath. Thank you, Benita. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any other animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male or female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Okay. So again, I, I had this one because it talks about clearly creation as well as remembering you were slaves in Egypt. It's reminding of, of that. Okay, so he was just picking up sticks. But again, it was more than just picking up sticks. So first of all, this harmless, what seemed harmless for us, was really disrespecting God as creator. It was, it was not remembering his deliverance from Israel. And this was part of the covenant when he says, obey the Sabbath. That was the part of the covenant relationship. So he was neglecting all of those. God made it clear that the punishment for violating the Sabbath was death, so he would have known the punishment. This wasn't like a surprise. 
And the timing of the incident is important. In Numbers 14, we see that people refuse to enter the Promised Land. Number 16, we see the rebellion of Korah. So that they seem to be lax, this laxity about the laws in the middle of a number of rebellions. And like you were saying, Benita, this could be for the benefit of the whole society that they doing this, because it was a collectivist society. And the original purpose of the Sabbath, it was intended to be a blessing. So this wasn't something to be fearful of, oh, I'm going to die if I do something wrong. This was a blessing for people. And ultimately, we don't know the specifics about the situation. We don't know his heart. We don't know if he was a repeat offender. We don't know exactly what was meant by this. Maybe he was collecting wood and selling it to his friends. I don't know. We just don't know. We've just told that there was this incident. Okay, now, let's look at how the law was viewed before we start judging it. So how is the law portrayed and discussed in the Old Testament? If you look at the writers of the Psalms, they don't describe it as oppressive or burdensome. They use things like the light and love. And so uh, Psalm 1-2 and a bunch in 19, he delights in God's law. He talks about he loves God's law. It refreshes his soul. It gives him joy. These are all really positive things about God's law. So the psalmist loves God and following God's law brought the psalmist in a deeper relationship with God. That's why he loved the law, and that's because his goal was to be in a deeper relationship with God. So it's a positive thing. So in what ways do you think God's laws are intended to be a blessing and not a burden? <coughs> A lot of the laws, like the dietary laws, were for your health benefits. Okay, again, if we're looking for them, the dietary laws were potentially for health benefits, for sure, at that time. The, the, anything else? Other thoughts? He's the new ruler. He's the new organizer of their life. Okay. They always have somebody bad in charge. Okay, so he's the sovereign, he's the king. Showing obedience, showing love for that, for him. Yeah? They've been at the whim of whoever wanted to boss them around. Okay, otherwise there is. Okay. So otherwise you're sort of at the whim. It's chaos, if you will. Um, how about the command, do not covet? That sort of prevents us from hopefully worrying about material possessions and acquiring. And it sort of frees us from materialism if we genuinely followed that command. So again, I think the law is intended to be a blessing. Well, yeah. There, there's also another one is, is you have to understand what the Israelites were in and among or where the, what kind of a world it was. Yeah. And what was the purpose of the Israelites was to bring in uh, the Christ. And so there had to be a, a and I, I, I liken it to a birth canal, you know, and antiseptically clean. <laughs> and that's what the law was doing for the, the Israelites in a world filled with sin. Okay, and we'll talk about what was the purpose of the law. And, and this is the part where I'm going to say, this is what I think is right, but I could be wrong, so don't stone me. They were talking about some of the sinful times. It said everybody was doing what was right in their own, in eyes. Their own eyes. And it was not a peaceful time. And it was dangerous to exist in that time for any time. So I, I just think, I don't feel like the law negative at all because it gave so much protection. Yep. And I think it's important 
to remember what the purpose of commands are, if we can get to them. For example, this one. We've often, some people rail against this. Oh, this is horrible. But it's not. It says, but if there's a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And we say, well, that seems awful harsh. But this is really intended to limit retribution. I think human nature is you step on my foot and I smack you in the face. And I smack you in the face and you hit me in the stomach and hit me. And then I get a gun and I shoot you. And then you get a gun and shoot me and my family. And then my family goes after your family. And then my country beats your country. And then we all dead. That's right. So I think this sets a limit to the natural tendency for retribution. So I think that's an important thing to remember. So the commands were meant to be a burden, but a way for God to bless them. Now, I do want to look at how Jesus referred to the law, and Jesus discussed the law. So first of all, I see he did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Jesus recognized the purpose of the Sabbath was to be a blessing, not to deprive people of food or healing. He healed on the Sabbath. They also collected grains on the Sabbath. That wasn't a violation of the Sabbath. So he recognized it was supposed to be a blessing. Jesus asked the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? He's looking at a higher principle here. So now here is my hypothetical scenario that's frequently discussed in <coughs> ethics types classes. Was it a sin for a homeowner in Nazi Germany to lie to a soldier who came to his door and asked if there were Jews in the house and there were Jews and he said no? Is that a sin? I say, I hear no. Anyone else? No. Boy, I have a bunch of people who aren't willing to say, yes, it's a sin. God said, do not lie. He lied. And I would say, no, it's not a sin. I don't think. I think there's a higher principle. And it goes back to us saying, well, the law is a law, and it always applies no matter what. And that's just not true. <laughs> that's just Now, I think we have to be careful about relativism. And sort of saying, well, then do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. That's not what we're saying here. Jeff, you're going to say something. Oh, the midwives in Egypt. The midwives in Egypt. They disobeyed. They lied. And they lied about it. And God blessed them. Who else lied that we know of? Abraham. 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 A lot of people lied. Rahab. Rahab lied, and she's called a woman of faith, right? What was her primary thing she did? She lied. And she protected the um, spies. Despise. Despise. I'm getting there. <laughs> you're, all as, you're all as wonderful as my wife, Rachel. <laughs> when I struggle. Okay, so I don't think this is a sin. I don't think saving life, telling an untruth to save life is a sin. Obviously, our, when we say law, I'm not sure it means the same thing as it did in the Old Testament. And we'll get that in two slides. Okay. <laughs> and you, but go ahead. Keep going. Well, because for us to have a law that means anything, we have laws that don't like the flag. There's no penalty for it. But we have to codify a law in Newbury. You can't pull your shoe off and say, I have a law written on the bottom of my shoe. It has to be put in a table of laws with similar laws, you know, dealing with automobiles or something. But, uh, so you enumerate them, put them in an order where people can understand them and follow them. When we codify them, we're going to tell what the law is and what the penalties are. These laws, most of them here, do not have penalties. They're, they're more than a good suggestion because God says to do it that way. But I don't see the punishment for it. 
Now we had hedges or fences to show people how to keep the law. If anything, those were the laws, the ones that the, they made up to protect us from violating the principle. Love God. That's not a law, that's a principle. Right. And yet it's called a law. And well, like I said, in a couple of slides from now, we'll talk about the word law is not actually used in the Hebrew. That is a translation in the Septuagint. So Torah was translated as law in the Septuagint, which had a big influence on how that was interpreted throughout the hundreds of years after the Septuagint. Okay, so before we get to that, so why, this was already mentioned by someone, but God can be accused of being legalistic because I think some Christians can be legalistic. Um, and so there are three ways Christians do this. They follow God's laws as a way of earning salvation. It's like if I don't do this, this, and this, and then I'm, I'm lost. So you're sort of earning your salvation, if you will. Or <clears throat> following God's laws of use of me of pay God back. God did so much for me, the least I can do is do this for him. And that is like quid pro quo. And that's, again, that's not the reason we love others. Um, God's law are viewed as a mean or a duty or an obligation. God said it, so I do it. I mean, it's sort of an obligation. And so I think we can get very... And truth be told, we like laws. Laws are good. When we say just live by the Spirit, that makes people feel really uncomfortable because we, we just, I just immediately abuse. So if someone says, live by the Spirit, and then someone comes back and says, I'm living by the Spirit. The Spirit told me to have an affair and divorce my wife, and that's what the Spirit told me. It's like, ah, wrong Spirit. Okay? <laughs> but we tend to like rules and laws. But I think we are called to a higher principle. The, the Spirit of Christ is a higher principle than a, a list of do's and don'ts. Okay, so now I want to step back and look at the law. And a lot of this comes from a couple books. One is called The Lost World of the Torah. And another one is called Five Views of Law and Gospel. So I, th these are, I like these multiple views books. Basically what you have here is you have multiple authors with different views on a topic. So one person will make their argument and the other three or four will respond. And they're usually very nice. Oh, I appreciate your essay. You have some wonderful things to say, but this is why you're completely wrong. <laughs> you know, but they're generally, you know, and these are all Bible-believing, faithful Christians who would say, I'm a sinner, and Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. But they have differences of opinions on so I have a lot of these sort of books. And so this is one of the books on this topic that I used as a resource. So here is the multiple choice. What, in your opinion, was the primary purpose of the law to Israelites in the ancient Near East? It was intended to bring salvation. It was intended to define sin. It was the primarily for the forgiveness of sins. It's wisdom literature like Proverbs. It's legislation with prescriptive commands. It's God telling the Israelites how to live in covenant relationship with him. It told people what they needed to do to be holy. So you have yes. 30 seconds to talk to your neighbor and you get to pick one. No. Yes, you do. I said, what's the primary purpose? And I, it's always funny because you have people say, no, I'm not playing your stupid game. I don't think it's just one, so I'm not going to pick one. So talk to each other. I do want you to talk to each other. Talk to each other. Which means face each other and talk to each other. 
Okay, I have a confession to make. I taught a class at my church in Terre Haute once, and I did the same sort of thing. I said, okay, talk to each other. And the next week, I said, well, I'm not coming back to your class. I don't come to class to talk to people. Come to work. I said, I, when I taught a class in Terre Haute once, I did the same thing. Talk to each other, share your... And that, after the class, a person said, I'm not coming back to your class. I don't come to talk to other people in class. I come to learn. <laughs> I can't tell you what I was thinking to respond. <laughs> It's like, well, good, I don't want you here. <laughs> um, but my gut response is more, but you have so much to learn. <laughs> so much you need to work on. Okay, any volunteers? I do want you to. F. F. I think it was A because I like to get an A. I think it's F. I think it is God telling the Israelites how to live in a covenant relationship with Him. Okay? Now, it is, I also think it has, it has the genre of wisdom literature as well. But that's not the primary purpose of it. I think it encapsulates all of the others in F. This is the primary purpose. <laughs> now, again, did it also help them understand what sin is? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Did it also um, talk a little bit about forgiveness? But it really is. Here's one thing I think is an important thing to recognize. Many New Testament references and discussion of the law. When you see New Testament authors talking about the law, they're talking about it as it was understood at the time of the Second Temple period when they were writing which is several hundred years after the Septuagint was written, which the, the, definite, the way the law was viewed had morphed a bit by that time. It's been hundreds of years since it was originally given. A thousand years. Six hundred years since it was written down. And so the way they viewed it isn't necessarily the same way it was actually viewed in its original context. So it's important to recognize the way Paul addresses it He's addressing it the way it's viewed at his time. And so he's responding to the way it's viewed at his time, not the way it was originally intended. Okay, so this is a, one of the books I referenced, Lost World of the Torah. Um, so some people, when we're talking about the law, they like to break up the law into categories. They say, oh, we have the civil law, we have the moral law, and we have a ceremonial law. Why do you think people like to do that? Some of us like to organize. Some of us like to organize? Other reasons? It's easier to break on it than ceremonial. That's right. <laughs> okay, it's easy to say ceremonial does not apply to us anymore. Right? Right. So we can throw out some. Civil. I think we can say the same thing. This is civil for Israel. It doesn't apply to us. Moral, we say, oh, that is ultimate truth. That is always true with the moral law. What's the problem, though? 
Well, what somebody thinks is moral might be what somebody else thinks is ceremonial. And the Bible never makes this distinction. When Jesus or anyone talks about the law, they're talking about the entirety of the whole thing. They're not breaking into moral law, civil law, ceremonial law. It's the law. And I think the problem is it lets you sort of pick and choose. You read, yep, 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 no, no, yep, yep, yep. And you just sort of pick the ones you like and say, that's moral law, so it applies to us. That's cultural back then, doesn't apply to us. It's very arbitrary, in my opinion. And so we have to be really, really careful with that sort of framework for approaching the law. This is a very common framework people have. But I think the stepping back the rationale for it is to say which ones we have to obey and not obey. And it's often based on our own preferences, to be perfectly honest. So there's no such division in the Old Testament. They really never have this sort of characterization. And actually, there was no concept of law or legislation in the ancient Near East. It was a non-legislative society. They did not have laws the way they don't have legislators. They don't have laws. They don't have that concept that is so built into our society. In fact, the word Torah was translated law in Septuagint, but the word actually means teaching or instruction. When you hear law, you think of legislative things you obey. If it's a teaching or an instruction, that's not as law, not as legal, not as much. It's a very different sort of framework. And I knew they were going to leave. They want the category. Okay. So the claim I'm going to make, and again, largely came from this book as well as this other book. So of the five views, this view I'm presenting is more the fifth view fifth author. But there are four other views. So again, I'm saying you can be intelligent and disagree with me here. Um, Torah was God telling Israel how to live in covenantal relationship with him. That was the main purpose of this literature, is relationship with God. And so there are three aspects of, and I'm going to say the law, because that, and throughout this previous, all the way up until now, I've talked about the law and commands, and why did God command this, and why was there this law? using sort of common vernacular and terminology when I really don't think that's the right term. Okay, I think it's teaching instruction. And so now I'm sort of saying all that stuff I said before, ignore, in terms of command and law. So there are three aspects, three categories, um, this genre of literature. Because again, you can look at the Bible, but you can also look at literature from other ancient Near East societies that have similar codes of ethics, if you will, or whatever we want to call it but it tends to be in this form of wisdom literature. It seems to be in the style of a suzerain contract, which is a contract between a king and a vassal. So if a country took over another country, there'd be this, how are you as a vassal country to me supposed to give me honor and serve me? As well as a ritual text. So those are sort of the three aspects of this. And so in terms of wisdom literature, Documents like this give examples of what justice in society looks like to help judges or kings determine what wisdom is and to help guide their decision-making process. So it's to sort of show them what wisdom is, but not to give them prescriptive, legalistic, you know, follow, this is the, like someone said, this is the law, this is the punishment. That's not what this is. This is like Proverbs. This is wisdom. So the Torah... And I didn't know what this word aspective meant until I looked it up. The Torah has an aspective reflecting one or more aspects of the unified whole. So it's reflecting the law, but it's not 
a, a set of laws. Uh, it's, and it's descriptive. Both, it has an aspective and descriptive nature. It's not a prescriptive guide for ethics for all people at all times. It's like an art teacher answering the question, what is art? By giving examples of art. I can't really define it, but I'm going to give you examples of art. What is this justice and ethical behavior? I'm going to give you examples of what that looks like. So the Torah is examples of what that wisdom is. Okay. So if you look at other ancient Near East societies, people are very familiar with the law of Hammurabi, which is before the Mosaic law. It's older. And so some people say, well, they copied from there. And it's like, no, you know, they, they're just examples of this genre of literature. And it's not God giving rules to the king, because this was actually misinterpreted for many years. They see God is over here and here's the king. And they thought this was God giving the commands to the king. But it's actually not. If you read the stuff, of it, it's the king telling the God, these are the decisions I've made. Aren't I a good and wise king? So it's a very different perspective. So it's the king's wisdom to show the God that he's a good king. Um, none of the collections are comprehensive or what we would call legislation. That's another problem with calling this legislation. This doesn't, we say that you know, we know how to deal with birds on the road, but there's a lot of aspects of society that this doesn't cover at all if you look at the Old Testament law. So it's not comprehensive like we try to have laws today. So that really wasn't its purpose. Legal sayings provide wisdom for judges, rulers who need to make decisions. They were not legislative decrees. And they do not tell us what laws were enforced in society, if there were any laws. The, the judges, the kings, they were the ones that sort of made decrees. That was their job. Um, much like Proverbs doesn't tell everyone how to live their lives. It's, a, it's a trying to help us be wise. That's what Proverbs is for. So if you look at Proverbs, there are times in Proverbs it doesn't seem to make, I don't know if it makes sense is the right thing, but do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourselves will be just like him. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, for he will be wise in his own eyes. Okay, which is it? How do you respond to that? How do you say, okay, this is clearly, whoever wrote this is very confused, because either I answer to them or I don't answer to them. I think the according to his folly might be the, not in there. Yeah. Don't argue with a two-year-old. They are both true statements. Yeah. Right? But it depends on the context. It depends on the situation. It's not giving us a prescriptive rule to live by. Always, whenever you see a fool, don't answer. Or whenever you see a fool, always answer. That's not wisdom. So those are both true statements, and it's intended to try to give the, it, but it depends on the context. So, Marcion, which I mentioned in the first week, was the second century heretic who rejected the Old Testament. And one of the reasons he rejected the Old Testament is because he felt there was conflicts in the law. So he says, God commanded that no work be done on the Sabbath, but he told Israel to carry the ark around Jericho seven times on the Sabbath. Which is it? Work on the Sabbath or don't work on the Sabbath? Being inconsistent here. Or God commanded that no graven images were to be made, but then God was told him to make this bronze serpent. Seems to be a graven image of something. Which is it? And the problem is, we're looking at wrong. We're looking at, and Marcion was looking at wrong. Like, this is a law, and now you're saying it's inconsistent. It's like, no, this is not a law. These are not laws like we think of laws. Okay? Okay. The law also had this form of a suzerain contract. 
and I use that word suzerain because that was used in the book. I'm assuming that is some common terminology used for people who study this sort of thing. But these contracts gave examples. Again, it wasn't to do this, this, and this like a contract for us today, but it gave examples of what faithfulness to the sovereign looked like. So a vassal served the sovereign or the suzerain, offered tribute, was dependent on it. The sovereign, the suzerain protected them, and I gave them tribute. So it sort of defined the relationship between the two. It was intended to bring honor to the suzerain, honor to God. And similarly, Israel was to bring honor to God before the nation. So this covenantal relationship had that same sort of form of the suzerain contract. What does Israel need to do? God is their sovereign. God is their king. How do we behave as a vassal to our king? Not as a list of laws, but as a list of examples of faithfulness. Okay, the law also falls into ritual texts. We see this. <clears throat> so ritual texts in the ancient describe rituals performed in order to meet the needs of the gods. So the sacrifices, things of that sort of thing. Now, all the other ancient Near East religions, they did sacrifices to meet the needs of the gods. They brought food to the gods. They brought, you know, whatever the god needed. But God, Israel's God did not need anything, Okay. So Israel that he had no need. So Israel's sacrifices were similar to a tribute given by a vassal. So it's not to meet God's needs, but it's a tribute to honor the God, honor God, honor the king. So this is a quote from the book. The rituals associated with the Torah maintained an appropriate relationship between Israel and her sovereign, the one who made the covenantal relationship with them. With them. Okay. So I'm making the argument that the law really isn't a law. It's not a law the way we think of as law. It was really intended to be, <clears throat> how do I live in covenantal relationship with God? How are we distinct from the nations around us and not a list of do's and don'ts and things to check off and to do? Okay, so let's conclude. I got a couple more slides, five minutes, super. Does any of the law including the Ten Commandments, have any authority on us today? Any binding authority? What are your thoughts? This makes people uncomfortable a little bit. Uh, I would say I'm thinking what we, the traditional law that we are talking about, the Torah, not, yes, love your God, clearly Jesus said that's the greatest command. You need to do that. Thou shalt not murder. Is that binding on us because of the law? Because of the Torah? I would say no. No, I'm not saying we can murder. I'm not saying our reason for not murdering is not because we're told in the Old Testament law not to murder. That is not our reason. Our reason is in Jesus and how he taught us to live. So we, I would say the law does not bind us. It's not binding on us, but that is not licensed. Oh, we can commit adultery. Now I can do this. No, 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 no. We have a much higher calling, if you will. We have a much higher standard. That's what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I'm not, don't get angry. Don't, don't, even, don't murder. Don't even get angry. Not, don't commit adultery. Don't even look lustfully. We have a much higher standard, and it really goes to the heart as opposed to a list of do's and don'ts. So the reason this makes people feel nervous is, well, now you're just letting people do whatever they want instead of saying, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I would say, I don't think the Ten Commandments would apply to us. That doesn't mean 
all the principles in there aren't applicable to us. And, and I think even, so let me give you the, the three ways people typically view this. The three ways moral and civil law are still binding on us, but not the ceremonial law. So some people say the civil law, they say this was God's ideal society, so we need to try to replicate it in some way. And I don't think this was God's ideal society. It was just a covenantal relationship between Israel and his people. The second one is the moral law and the Ten Commandments modify Ten Commandments are still binding. Why do we why do I say modify Ten Commandments? What's that? <laughs> Sabbath. We say, yeah, that one's sort of optional, you know. Sunday is our Sabbath. Like, no, you can't Sabbath we've already talked about. That was a really, really big. They killed someone for violating the Sabbath. We can't just arbitrarily say, well, he really meant Sunday. We'll just make Sunday our Sabbath. So we'll, we like all the other ones. We're not going to commit adultery. We're not going to cut it. We're not going to murder. But the Sabbath, nah, it's not as critical. Or we'll, we'll try to keep Sunday holy. So we pick and choose. And again, my point is not that we do whatever we want, but we have a much higher calling as Christians. Okay? So, any comments on these? Any comments or thoughts? Yeah, Brian. I think another tension is when Jesus said, none of this will pass away. I'm here to fulfill it. None of the laws, not one judge that will pass away. But, but just as you said, he said, he showed how it's worse. It's <laughs> in a higher standard. That's right. And I appreciate using the word jot or tittle. What's a tittle? Anyone know? It's like a jot. The dot on an eye was a, is a tittle. So anyway, yeah, so he, I didn't, but he is also here to fulfill it. The main, the real ultimate purpose was relationship with God. And the New Testament writers tell us that that burden of the world is lifted by him. So it's, it's, that's the one That's right, that's right. And again, that can make people feel uncomfortable. So if we say, well, we think homosexuality, homosexuality is wrong because it's in the law, I don't think we're on firm foundation with that. Which is why I like Eddie's class, because he talked about Old Testament scriptures, but then he also brought it to the New Testament and said, let's look at what the New Testament says about this topic. So I think we have to be careful establishing norms based on Old Testament, because it was a very cultural aspect at that time. But there are New Testament for most, you know, for everything that is, I think, relevant for us. Any comments, questions? You, you kind of alluded to it that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and it's, it's essentially living out the law of Christ, the law of love for your neighbor. I mean, if you love your neighbor, you're not even going to consider killing them. You're not going to consider right. committing adultery. It's, it's because of that calling of Christ to love our neighbor and to love him that, that we do the things that we do, I think. I think you're absolutely right. Okay, so let's sort of summarize. Bottom line, we're out of time. The law, instruction, again, the word Torah is really instruction teaching. Uh, we're given thousands of years, so applying to modern standards modern doesn't make any sense. We don't often know what they were for. Ancient years, people were not governed by legislation. There wasn't like a judicial advance, there weren't police, there weren't like I can go read what the law is. There was not that. It was not a legislative society. They were not governed by laws like we are. The Torah was not given to the church. It was given to Israel to teach Israel how to be in relationship with God, to be there, his people. That's what the Torah was. So for us as Christians, the Torah gives us great historical, spiritual significance, 
since it's the foundation of the Old Testament, provides important insights into history, culture, religious practices. What does it mean to be, to be a people of God? It helps us understand our own roots. But again, I don't think it's binding. But having said that, I don't think that gives us any license to sin. I think we have a higher ethical, moral standard. Okay, that's my view. So I'm hoping no one is offended by what I've said today. And if they are, go back to Eddie's class and being unoffendable. And I'm hoping that I'm still asked to be an elder this Sunday. <laughs> Another comment? Is it true, though, that it's reflective of God's... Character? Character, yeah. I think certain elements... I mean, the birds... I mean, there are things... I just think you have to be careful taking it too far. But yeah, I think it's clearly... God wanted his people to do this. So in a sense, it does reflect part of who he is, but I think you have to be careful for how far you take that. Okay, well, I appreciate everyone coming. I want to keep you. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.